0: Welcome to
1: the IAB UK podcast. Hello, James here, and you're listening to the IAB UK podcast. My guest this week is Christine Armstrong, speaker, researcher, vlogger, and one of the most illuminating voices you'll hear on work culture and the future of work. Christine is, I guess, a researcher first and foremost, but has this amazing ability to turn the insights she extracts into high energy keynotes and perfectly formed vlog posts. If you've seen Christine speak or she's appeared in your LinkedIn feed, you'll know just how good she is. I met Christine back in 2021 as part of our lockdown leadership series event. She was Just an outstanding speaker at a time when we all wanted answers to how do you do remote work and how on earth do you continue to build a culture when no one's in the office. She was so good, in fact, that we invited her back a year later, this time in real life, to our annual leadership summit up at Sopwell House in St Albans. On this episode, we cover everything from WeWork's demise to Hancock syndrome, Christine's hot take on how to do LinkedIn properly, and why it feels like everyone is flailing around just doing meetings wrong. Plus, we finish with some all-killer, no-filler quickfire questions too. But I started by asking Christine about some of the key themes emerging from her latest round of research interviews.
0: Okay, so the big thing that's coming out everywhere is conflict Mm. and I'm really fascinated by it. So what I think is happening, this is my analysis having just done them, is that there is a fracturing between groups at the office and there is one group which I kind of call the nostalgia ninety 2019 group who are desperately trying to paddle back to 2019 not because they're horrible people but because that's what normal looks like, that's what worked for them, they're like let's get back to what we know, let's get everyone back in the office, proper meeting structure proper days, have everybody where they're supposed to be, that's going to feel great and so you've got one group there and then you've got another group which is paddling hard towards 2025 saying we're not sure what all the answers are but things have changed and we've got to try and work out how to make it work and there's enormous tension between those two groups and there's an additional twist of the tension because the more senior you are, the more likely you are to be in the 2019 Nostalgia Group because you grew up in that environment, Mm -hmm. you kind of know where you're at with it. The younger and more up-and-coming you are, the more likely you are to be in the 2025 Innovate Group Mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of tension between the two.
1: And what's driving that discomfort with the 2019 people? Is it that the work isn't being done or it could be done better if we're in this
0: building together or what's the sort of thing they're sitting with? So I think it feels out of control. Mm. It feels difficult. It feels harder to manage. It feels less certain. It feels more fluid. It feels more unsettled. They feel less strongly connected. And there's lots of other sort of really practical things. The most senior people at offices tend to be rewarded for that seniority. They tend to have their own office or maybe a parking space Mm. or maybe they've got an assistant. They've got lots of things that makes office life a bit better for them. Mm. Whereas the people coming through don't have all those advantages and the commute is a bigger part of their income. And so it's more expensive and they probably got more time pressure you know I was put on a panel recently to debate whether women not going to the office as much was going to be a disaster of feminism but I'm debating somebody who's made a huge amount of money whose kids are in private school who's you know talking about taxes and nannies most people don't have that and and I think sometimes we forget That different
1: experience. Anything wildly surprising that you came across? Because you do these dips all the time, Mm. you do these big interviews. There must be one or two things that you kind of come across that just maybe sort of take you completely by surprise, I'm
0: guessing. I think... What's interesting is how little people do, <laughs> do surprise you. Sometimes you're surprised by the lack of surprise. You sometimes think somebody's going to say something that totally you think, holy hell, where did that come from? And what's astonishing is how infrequently they do it. I think on this one, it is the frustration, the rage of people who are so well-intentioned and want to get things back to normal and cannot understand why people don't. The power of that emotion is sometimes really overwhelming, you really taste their frustration.
1: Yeah. What about HR people and kind of chief people officers and you know these are the people that I guess were entrusting to sort of get culture back on track and maybe sort of lure people back into the office, perhaps they're the, the sort of middle person between the senior leaders who wanted to go back to what it was and the, the bridge between the, the, the other people. What, what's their take on all of this?
0: So I often find that they are the most conflicted group in an organisation <laughs> because they are very... Very likely to be in the 2025 group because they're trying to hire. So they're the ones who are being screamed at, Why haven't we got ahead of this? Why haven't we got someone? Why is the shortlist so crummy for this role? And they're saying, Well, I've put it out as five days a week or four days a week and no one's applying. What do you want from me? And people keep leaving because they're being offered by their competitor less structured ways of working. So they are really, I think, the ones most caught in the crossfire and the most trying to keep their bosses happy, but also trying to actually do their jobs. Almost being put in an impossible position. Some of them.
1: Personal perspective from the IAB. Been high for some roles. I mean, the labour market does feel pretty weird at the moment. Feels like there's sort of lots of people, but maybe applications aren't always. Bang on. There's the sort of the money thing. You're being interviewed as much as you're interviewed. It feels very weird at the moment. Did, did that come through? At
0: all? I think there's a bit of a paradox here because the labour market is obviously looser than it was mm-hmm. last year. So some of the frenzy and some of the pay rise kind of escalation that we were seeing last year is gone. And yet, I sort of hear on both sides. I hear loads of people who are trying to hire saying there's just nobody out there, and loads of people who are trying to be hired saying there aren't many yes. jobs. So somehow yes. there's sort of this <laughs> disconnect, and I'm not sure if anyone's got any answers. I'd love to them I'm not sure what it is I think people who are happy in their jobs and doing well are if they can staying where they are right now just waiting to see what happened I think a lot of the movement happened and then people for whom it's not working or hasn't worked are on the move and people aren't always confident they're the right person for their job but I'm not 100% sure of that I would yeah. be interested in people's take.
1: Did Covid come up at all have we stopped talking about Covid now the sort of the Covid years are people sort of harking back to that and this sort of big change thing that happened?
0: So what I hear is that in the with those leaders who are fighting the 2025 innovate model who are trying to go back is they are still talking about mental health still being a huge problem so I feel that those are people who are stuck in a loop where they're finding it hard to hire possibly because of the culture and because of some of the restrictions they've put in then when those people come in there's huge pressure on billings because they've had to overpay for them potentially or you know go a bit further than what to. then there's huge pressure then they've got more turnover then it's hard to hire and then they're talking about burnout mental health they're trying to put up fees they're in a quite a negative cycle there's a another group that have kind of seemed to have lent into it a little bit more who've gone well actually we've sort of figured out we could hire over a more diverse area we can actually attract clients over a bigger area maybe we can specialize more they're kind of figuring out there are some advantages for this we just have to work out and they're in a bit of a more positive cycle where they're not feeling all of the financial pressure that the other group are
1: i'm sure i will have mentioned it in the intro but when you've come and spoken to us before Consistently in the top one or two of speakers we've had at our leadership summit, the last time you talked about these different models that you've nailed down on what sort of hybrid work looks like. Talk to us a bit about those.
0: So, what we've seen is the emergence of maybe six different ways of working from one, which is obviously some people have gone all remote, some people have gone all remote, but with regular training and catch ups. You've got two versions of fluid, you've got, you know, flexible fluid. Uh, sorry, <laughs> two versions of the hybrid, can't speak. You've got two versions of hybrid, one which is fluid where you can choose when. And you come in one which is fixed which is you've come in these specific days then you've got a four-day week and then you've got the full return and people are sort of putting themselves into those boxes and my view is that companies have to choose what works for them on a practical level what suits their brand and also what appeals to their talent now and their future talent yeah there is this
1: even in our world the sort of the five-day week creep which feels at one end of that continuum that you just sort of talked about when lots of the talk, I guess, in post-Covid, in those evergreen period, when we were sort of coming back, isn't it? What what do you want? Doesn't matter. Doesn't have to be in the UK. You can kind of go
0: anywhere. We're all right about it. And it just
1: gradually, I guess, is what you just talked about at the top. The
0: headlines don't seem to reveal what's actually going on, which is that actually remote and working from home is pretty stable as mm-hmm. an option. And we're not seeing a full return to the office. We're seeing a lot of headlines about it. We're not seeing that en masse. We're seeing some people trying to do it and really struggling with it. And obviously we've got some, particularly you know, the American banks, pushing it really hard. But we know anecdotally they are struggling to hire. They're having to pay more. There are downsides to doing it. So when I talk to leadership teams and do keynotes, I say, look, you can push for it, but you've got to know that it's going to be harder to hire and you're going to pay more for it. If you're okay with that, go right on ahead. But you've got to be sure why you're doing it.
1: It feels apt to talk about WeWork, the sort of what maybe should have been the great success story of everyone thinking, I oh, don't want a big building, I need to pay rent in, I want to work flexibly. Quite like this idea. To, I mean, if you were to invent something tomorrow that fit that bill, probably be WeWork. I wonder what's happened there.
0: Yeah, I mean, this feels like a leadership issue, doesn't it? Mm. And it feels like quite a sort of showy, quite a high risk Uh, approach to business that feels a little bit out of kilter perhaps with what's happened in the last four years I think one of the um, articles I don't know why my mind goes back to that somebody interviewed the chief exec in the times and said that you know made the big statement that we don't do PR and I think they'd come across I can't remember how many PR executives (laughs) in the process of setting up the interview so I I, you know I think there's a sort of reality versus the story the story is perfect and it should fit immaculately but I think perhaps the boldness of the business and perhaps the overreach was in the issue
1: yeah and they're not the only ones, I guess. I mean, there's other. It's a model you can replicate. It's not something you can kind of completely nail down.
0: Indeed. Can we talk a bit
1: about your LinkedIn, which is just phenomenal? I think it's the first place I found you. And I was looking for people we had in common, which I think was Steph from. Don't buy me flowers, don't Oh, flowers. yeah, yeah, she's lovely. It's she's exactly great. Yeah, yeah, she's great. And her podcast is incredible as well. Yeah, it's I mean, great. in comparison. Where did the vlog come from? Because so much of what you look on at LinkedIn is is written word and it's these sort of sentences of long draws of stuff. But the vlog that you do is just, it's sort of so refreshing and you get lots of standout because it's in lots of sort of diatribe around people writing things where did it come from so
0: i cannot claim any credit i have to tell you <laughs> so it was really not my it? idea really i can't off. so in lockdown so i'm a keynote speaker obviously and my husband at the time was running a travel business so come the end of march basically oh, every wow. holiday had been cancelled and every speaker booking so things were pretty dark in the armstrong <laughs> house so we're sort of looking at each other with three kids at home going what are we going to do now <laughs> Philippe Matous, who i've worked with on and off for nine years and i know the date exactly because i met him on the day I gave birth to my third child it was a bit early and he had been saying for a while I think you should do a vlog he spends a lot of time in North America sort of really influenced by what goes on there and sort of part of amazing networks over there and he was saying look you know vlogging's becoming really big in the States there's very few women doing it there's very few women doing it in business I really think that this is the space you should and I was a bit like oh it sounds a bit trendy (laughs) (laughs) oh I don't know I'll just have another cup of tea and he sort of called and said come on now's the moment so literally as the shop's down my husband was driving over south london buying the last iphone 12 and a microphone and so we started and i you know i think we had about three followers for a while and it was like kind of shudder with pain when i look back on early episodes if i can even bear (laughs) to but we kind of figured it out and it's been going for three years unbelievably so it's no overnight success you know it has been like week in week out the the sort
1: of the bite-sized thing of it i think works works very as well and i guess like Having seen you on stage and seen you do doing the vlog, it's clearly Christine Armstrong, but there's something different going on between those things. Like it's high energy, but it's a different type of energy. See, I can't
0: of... answer that. I don't know. You'll have to tell me. Yeah, there's it's.
1: I, I can only imagine having done two years like everyone of sat in front of a Zoom camera with no feedback. It's so much harder than being on stage where you just got you can get a laugh in the first ten seconds and all the rest of it but you still manage to, maybe it's the edit, maybe it's all, maybe it's
0: I all, think it might on. be the edit. I do have to, like, so sometimes you're doing it and, you know, it's a Tuesday morning, it's pouring with rain, one of your kids is sick, the dog's, you know, had diarrhoea and you look terrible and you're trying to put on lipstick and, you know, <laughs> your editor's going, film it now because it's the only ten minutes I've got this week. And, you know, and then you kind of, boom, and here I am, thinking this is the biggest fraud ever. Do you, <laughs> you like know, it, though? Does it, come quite, does it come quite naturally? I don't think it's natural. I think it's learned. So right. I think over time, I've got better at it and I'm better at kind of clicking into that. Whoop, off we go. But I think you don't see, and it's really fascinating. So I've seen people around me sort of take ideas from it and replicate it mm. and try and do similar things. And you don't know how much you've learned until you see somebody who's a bit further back in the journey. Right. In, in terms of everything, in terms yeah. of, the, you know, how concise you make it, in terms of how you headline it, in terms of how you structure it. And I don't feel like I know, I mean, I feel like I know, you know, of what I need to (laughs) to do this properly but you do sort of see it's yeah it's it is a skill set and I'm glad that I forced myself to learn it or Philippe forced me to learn it more accurately how far in advance are you thinking about
1: content for it I mean is there, is there a big sort of content calendar and it's all sort of you managed or something will come up and you'll think I'm going to do something there
0: yeah I've got an Excel spreadsheet that goes through <laughs> no I uh, it's very much week three. I mean I do have an editorial calendar and I kind of got a whole anything right, I think of right. I put into it nice. but like last week was on you know the Covid inquiry and I had a different it was on imposter syndrome the Covid inquiry oh this is the
1: Hancock thing we yeah talk yeah about yeah. yeah
0: and I sort of started it I filmed it on Tuesday with a completely different story then Wednesday <laughs> Day, all that evidence came out, and then I reshot it on Thursday, and then it came together. Uh, and it did come together last week. Other weeks, you know, you sort of look at it after and so say, Did that totally hang together? I totally sort of
1: got away with it. <laughs> I think that's why it works because it just feels very of the moment when you're sort of seeing it. It doesn't feel like something predetermined that was always going to happen. Talk to us about Hancock syndrome.
0: So I just got really angry listening to all that evidence from the Deputy Cabinet Secretary. I can't remember her name now. And, you know, there was five-hour meetings and women were heard for 15 or 20 minutes despite so many of the issues being so important to women. PPE, not fitting, NHS staff, 77% of the NHS staff are women, domestic violence, nursery schools. And they were all talking about hunting and shooting and football. And it really made me cross. And, And what particularly makes me cross about imposter syndrome is the way that we try and kind of present it to women as the problem is you just think you're a fraud and actually if you just you know were a bit more steely you'd be great you'd be able to rock this and Dominic Cummings calling you rude names wouldn't affect you. Mm. I just feel so anyway I sort of said that I'm much more concerned about what I called Hancock syndrome which is not thinking or worrying or feeling like you ever might be abroad and just carrying on regardless which seems to have done more damage to the country than imposter syndrome ever could do.
1: I found it fascinating on the SAS thing he's done you know he got to end but the fundamental thing you've got to pass is did the team trust you and that's where he fell down yeah. so of all the bravado and the- Push-ups and all the nonsense. Ultimately, do people trust you? Not on your nelly. Yeah, no chance. you You did something interesting. A month or so ago, you said some advice, please. I'm after a wildly inspiring course to learn something new. What sort of stuff did you get? In oh the my god, that? that
0: was I think that was one of my favorite ever posts. <laughs> uh, it was so I didn't even put a picture with genuine? it. Yeah, no, I so I did this course last year on listening, which my mum said, Why do you keep going back to this Link course? How could you do a course that <laughs> nonsense? And it was brilliant, it really changed the way that I think and I use it loads when I'm presenting and get groups to listen to each other and stuff. It's brilliant. And so I thought, well, What can I do that's as good as that? Mm. And so I asked people on LinkedIn, What have you done that's genuinely brilliant don't sell your own courses right. that yeah. didn't entirely work but it almost did <laughs> but what have you done and I just got so many amazing suggestions from stand-up to trapeze artists to learning kink which I thought was a bit much for LinkedIn <laughs> I've got to tell you and, and then this havening yeah. thing which I didn't know what it was oh that's such a big talk and it, well I'm I, I, the guy that, one of the guys that, te- I said I didn't understand it, so this guy that teaches it called me and then said, I won't tell you, I'm just going to show you. And I was like, oh, shoot myself. You, <laughs> okay, but actually it was amazing. I kind of I just, I slightly can't decide if it's magic or madness. Apparently it's neuroscience, but I'm not sure. So I just, anyway, I've signed up for tons of stuff. Oh, uh, wow. So I'm kind of looking forward to the next few months to kind of, I've done that, uh, yeah, I've signed up for stand-up and all sorts of things. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how we get on.
1: That's going to be a content series on its own. Comments as well. I mean, so much is sort of defined in social media, it's no different on LinkedIn by what people kind of bowl up and start to comment on things. Amy Keene, friend of the podcast, former IABer, you know, gets a lot of flack for stuff. I mean, she puts herself out there, but she gets a lot of flack in the comments. Are you a commentator? Do you see stuff sometimes that really gets you going? you think I'm going to get... Stuck into someone on that.
0: No, I just cannot be asked. I, I just, <laughs> the thing is, I'm like, I don't care. With, I think I'm a bit of a psychopath. I don't care if you disagree. I don't even really care if you don't like me very much. I sort of think, I'll like, i tell you, and if people have a real go, I don't really engage. Somebody had to go today said I was bullying Matt Hancock. So oh, that's an interesting perspective, am I? Okay. Like, I just can't be bothered to sit around arguing online. So I get loads of comments, people saying, yeah, you know, it's lovely. And I'm like, great, fantastic. If somebody says I absolutely hate it, I'm like, yeah, fair, cool. Interested in your view. It's fine. I just I cannot I just don't have the headspace for (laughs) it probably really winds them up nothing (laughs) worse for a troll they just go fine yeah thanks very much just you get these very odd messages sometimes and you think oh you know you do you
1: can we talk about meetings because I've heard you talk about it it's like what's the magic what's the formula here like we've got rid of all the chairs we've done walking meetings I've walked out of rooms where I felt it's not relevant because I've been given permission to we've done the pre-reads it's like we've made them shorter
0: what are we doing wrong I think we're just not saying no often enough. I think we just need to... I think we just limit everyone so you can have one meeting a day, choose really wisely, and otherwise get on with your life. I don't know. I think we accept too many, we put in too many, mm. we don't have clear agendas, we don't know what we're trying to get out of it. I think you... I think we give meetings the times that we give them. And I think we're not good enough at structuring our days and we're not clear enough about what we actually want to get out of stuff. Mm -hmm. And we invite, I mean, we know all this. We invite too many people. I think we just have to be really brutal. And I think the best answer is always no.
1: In businesses you've worked in, Jericho and Partners and all these other things, have you ever been somewhere where it sort of felt right? It felt like you got got to something close where it kind of worked?
0: So I think what we got close to at Jericho was designing a hybrid model before hybrid was a word. So we had a central London office, but no one had to be in it at any time, uh, apart from some support staff were there all the time. So I have to acknowledge that. And we didn't often talk about that. So that was a contradiction. But in terms of consultants, they could come and go work their work anywhere. And that was very unusual at the time. And people used to come and ask. I think we got that absolutely right. Whether our meeting etiquette was right, probably not. I mean, my business partner at the time was quite a big fan of meetings. So that was, in fact, quite probably similar to what other people would have experienced I feel like running my own entity has just been the most liberating thing ever i mean it's just brilliant isn't it you just don't have to say yes to anything other than you know client meetings and even then it's kind of you know it's what do you want yes i'll turn up because we're going to do something together or no we don't need to talk it's so clean
1: sadly this isn't my entity so i am saying yes to everything which is uh, including
0: (laughs) including all the meetings i'm going to
1: which i which i really don't don't need to be if you're on mastermind would your favorite topic be communication overload or energy and burnout
0: i think energy and burnout actually
1: Is burnout still a big thing? Is that coming up in some of your Yeah,
0: huge, you yeah. We're terrible at setting our own boundaries, aren't we? We're really yeah. shit at it and people just, you know, really well-intentioned people who want to do a good job, mm. drive so hard and just kind of lose sight of what's important and go round and round in hamster wheels. And I think as leaders and managers, I think most of us are terrible at helping people break out of that and say no to more stuff. And with some of the best interviews I've done recently, you know, I talked to a bloke who runs a law firm. I love this guy. He said, um, he said I'm a really cheap date. I've lived in the same house with, 30 years I cycle I don't even have a car it's like I run this law firm and I don't really care that much about money but as it is it does do really well and you could tell from his warmth that he was a lovely manager yeah. and he just created this really good environment and people could you know one team was doing really brilliantly during Covid and they were burning out so I told them not to take any more work like, just stop it's enough you've met your targets forget about it He said well coming out that we've got the best reputation locally because they didn't let the standards go and you just like sometimes we have to know when to say no and we're terrible at yeah. it
1: and even when it feels like mental health is—it's more easier to talk about now. It's more—it's got a higher profile than it ever has before. Like we all know this thing, yet yeah. It's still such an issue that people feel like they need to not have boundaries about when they're going to work and, and really kind of overdo it. Again, it's this other sort of contradiction, isn't it? I guess.
0: it feels like we need a generational change. It feels like the generation that I grew up in, where it was cool and. Sort of dynamic. It was an attribute to work sixty hours a week and then to go out and get pissed with your colleagues yeah. and all of that. I feel like we just we need to let that fall away. And you know, I love the work of um, a guy called Lars Reinman uh, who's based in Germany, runs a management consultancy, and he pioneered the five-hour working day uh, for his consultancy, which is like we can only focus for four or five hours a day anyway yeah. on a complex task. So yeah. you go in, you do email at the beginning and the end for fifteen minutes, you put away your phone, you work, you structure your day, then you go home. And you know, as a way to attract talent as a way to be productive like i find that much more exciting than you know law firms trying to get people to do 14 hours a day
1: can we do some quick fire questions to finish yes. i'm going to try one sentence questions in the hope of getting one sentence answers who's impressing you most on linkedin who should listeners go and follow
0: so, in terms of video content, Philippe Matous, who told me to do the vlog, does amazing videos. Definitely follow him. And also Felix Co, who started a co-founded a consultancy about listening, actually, and thinking, who does amazing diagrams. Really brilliant visuals. Mm. Those two.
1: Very nice. Shouldn't we all be striving for a four day week?
0: I'm not a big fan of the four day week. Oh. no, it doesn't match the school week. So that's one of my things with <laughs> yeah. it. So yeah. God, I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. So I think six hour day
1: heard it here first it's the face-off round on family fortunes you're stood behind the buzzer opposite bruce daisley the question is things employees say are the biggest distraction at work what do you answer with pings and then they do the noise in family fortunes and they do it you bump into elon musk in a hotel lift you have approximately five floors alone with him what do you say
0: I don't think I would say anything, because I'm a bit <laughs> of a cow. I think I would just look at him and see what he did. I just, I have no warmth towards oh. him whatsoever. I feel like I've worked with his personality type, and whatever you say, you kind of walk into a trap. You're much better keeping your mouth shut and seeing what they do.
1: <laughs> what a, a fantastic way to end. A bit of Bruce and a bit of Elon. Plus, you know, John, thank you so much for giving us some time this afternoon. I really appreciate Pleasure.
0: it. Pleasure. Delighted to be here. Thanks very much.
1: Christine Armstrong there. I think that's one of my favourite episodes so far on the pod. I absolutely loved it. And I nearly fell off my chair when she said she couldn't be asked to reply to people who commented on her posts. Just brilliant. If you do nothing else after this episode, seek out Christine on LinkedIn and follow her just so you can get a weekly dose of her in vlog form brightening up your feed. The infamous IAB UK office slide may or may not be making a cameo at some point too. In other news, our IAB debrief event is just a week away. It's a whole morning packed full of case studies and award-winning campaigns all told by the agency's advertisers and media partners behind them. Join Eon, Acast, Uber Ads, Boots, ASOS, Abercrombie & Fitch and many more brands at the Ham Yard Hotel in London on Tuesday the 21st of November from 8 o'clock. Tickets are available at iabuk.com forward slash debrief and if you're an agency or advertiser member you come for free all on us. That's it for this week. Thank you very much for listening.
0: IAB UK, building a sustainable future for digital advertising.